0: Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Third John. Last week, as you're turning there, we looked at the first four verses of the book. Where I'm going to read it to you just to kind of catch our bearings. In this book, this is what the first four verses say. We'll be looking at the next five after that. It says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That was last week and we we said how, well, John is writing to an individual, Gaius, and he is both wanting Gaius to excel in a temporal way, right? In physical health and and prospering, whatever that looks like. But just in temporal ways, he wants Gaius to be doing well. But notice in verse 4, the main thing he wants for Gaius is that he has a relationship with Jesus Christ. I have no greater joy than that you'd have that. And that's true for for you as well. Before we move on to this next part of the book, I just want to say that to all of you. There's nothing more important in this world. Nothing. Even the people you love. Nothing, no one, is more important than whether or not you're walking with Jesus Christ in this life. But he moves on We're going to look at verses 5 through 8 this morning. Let me read it to put it in front of us, and we're going to consider a few things about it this morning. This is what he says in verse 5. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. It's the passage I want to look at with you this morning, just briefly. Consider a few things. Really, two topics that I want us to look at, two themes that I see in this verse celebration and striving. Celebration and striving. I always go out on a limb whenever I use a sports analogy, especially a football one. I'm going to do that this morning. Deshaun Jackson, an NFL wide receiver, had um, at least four times the record at least a standing record, in the NFL for yards per reception. Four different times. Incredibly talented individual. And I was just watching on YouTube to get to know a little bit of this guy before I mentioned him in a sermon. And uh, just watching highlight clips of Deshaun Jackson. And, I mean, just incredible catches that he has made before. But there is one time where makes an incredible catch. I don't remember what it was. Like some maybe 70 yards, 60-something yards and he runs the last little bit to get to the end zone, doesn't think anyone's close to him, and he stops too soon and drops the ball to celebrate. No touchdown. And it hurt his team significantly. Incredible individual, worth celebrating in a lot of ways when it comes to his talent on the field, and yet, though there's much to celebrate, there's still a need to strive. Celebration, and striving, what, what can we learn from this example about our faith? Well, there's a lot to celebrate that God has done in our lives, as a church, in this world. There's so much to celebrate, and yet we must always be careful not to, because of that celebration, find ourselves now resting when striving is still left to be done, that we would stop too soon, right? Right? just because of all the good that already has taken place. And this is true for the older generation. Let me just say to you specifically, this can be a very easy temptation for the older generation, can't it? To see all that God has done in my life, I'm at the tail end of my life, and now I'm going to relax and leave it up to others. They're still striving yet to do. But it's also true for the younger generation just as much in a different way, right? My family's coming to church, my family's saved, they believe in Jesus, and that's good. Let's just get in that routine and just stick it with that. When there's still a lot of people that need Jesus all around us, but hey, my family's good, right? It's so easy for us to do, to let the celebration hinder our striving. So today's title, as you can see there on that slide, Commended and Commissioned. John commends Gaius of what he's already done, but he still commissions Gaius for more he should be doing. John commends Gaius, and then he commissions Gaius still yet. And so my goal, I guess, can I just lay that up before you, kind of put my cards on the table, so to speak? My, my desire, and just our time looking at this, is that, one, there would be this, like, this would be an opportunity for us to rise up a lot of excitement about what God has done in our lives. That we would celebrate it, legitimately celebrate it, not rush too quickly to the striving, but just stop for a second and just celebrate. Man, God is doing something great in this world. He's doing something great in Bethany. He's doing something great at Emmanuel Baptist Church. And there is something worth celebrating for in that. So let us celebrate. That's my hope that this text would drive us to celebration but then also that this text would prompt us to never stop striving. That it would well up within us a desire to go, a desire to send, a desire to work for the name of Jesus. That we would never stop until the job is done, always pressing on, always climbing the hill, and never resting too long in the celebration so let's consider this text starting in verse 5 we see firstly John commends Gaius in what has already been taken place let me read it verse 5 in the first part of 6 the text says beloved it is a faithful thing that you do in all of your efforts for these brothers strangers as they are who testify to your love before the church let me pause there do you see what he's doing here you see what John's doing He's commending Gaius. It's a faithful thing that you're doing. Gaius, just to give you a little bit of context, there were missionaries coming through Gaius's town. Gaius is a Christian, probably a leader within a church. And some evangelists or maybe some um, traveling itinerant preachers, missionaries are traveling through. And Gaius was taking them in. He was housing them. He was feeding them. Likely clothing them, giving them an opportunity to bathe, and then sending them well supplied with food and whatever else they might need to continue on in ministering and preaching the the gospel to people that need to hear it. And so, John hears about this and he says, man, Gaius, it is a faithful thing you're doing. It's a faithful thing you're doing. And I think let's just take from that Gaius example that The Christian life is not just a set of beliefs. The Christian life is something to be lived and done faithfully. Gaius, what a shame it would have been if Gaius was a Christian just in beliefs. He was just a man that walked around knowing the right stuff up here. And that was all his Christianity was for Gaius. What a shame that would be. What a shame that is for so many people that that's the extent of their Christianity. But Christianity isn't just a set of beliefs or things that they know, but it's actually a life lived and things done. It's a, it's a transformation of, of life. I uh, was just talking to somebody last night. Someone up to this point, still, I did not know to be a Christian. Zero. Zero uh, fruit that I've seen where I'm like, man, that person's a Christian or maybe a Christian, none. Like, I, I am confident not walking with Jesus. And then just talking to them, they just mentioned, like, just offhanded and, like, nonchalantly, like, just very casually worked it into the conversation, just saying, yeah, I mean, and since I'm a Christian, yada, 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 and I, I mean, I didn't say anything, but I'm going to have to have a follow-up conversation because nothing's ever told me that. What a shame that would be that were any of us, right? That wasn't Gaius. It was evident by the things that he did, the things that he did for these missionaries, the way that he lived his life. Christianity is not just a set of beliefs. It's a life. And notice what he was doing faithfully or who he was doing these faithful things for. Those brothers, Paul says, other Christians, missionaries, but strangers You see that? Strangers as they are. Gaius, you're faithful for them. Strangers. Strangers. And again, I take from that our Christ-likeness, our being ambassadors of the gospel, our living like Jesus for other people to see, isn't just for our day-to-day relationships, right? Just for the people that are right next to us, the people that we see every single day. Right? It's also for the person that we will never see again and never have seen before. It's for the strangers as well. right? And so we're getting it completely wrong if we're nice and Christ-like to our neighbor, but hateful to the cashier at Hy-Vee and St. Joe. Right? You tracking with me? It's completely missing the point. Completely missing the Christ-likeness if we are doing the things we should be doing in front of the people that could hold us accountable for it, but yet leaving our normal context and just not representing Christ at all. We're missing it, if that's the case. John commends Gaius that he was living a faithful life for brothers, but strangers even. And I think in that way, wouldn't you say that Gaius was a glimpse into Jesus, what Jesus looks like and the way he was treating those strangers. He was kind of a glimpse into, man, that's how Jesus would act. That's like Boaz, right? I mean, a few months ago, we looked at the book of Ruth. And in the book of Ruth, there was this man, Boaz, who takes in Ruth, provides for her needs, and in doing so, we can see a Christ-type kind of an image into the person of Christ foreshadowed before Christ came. But that's what Christ would do. And here Gaius is doing what Christ would do. And I think both in Boaz's example and in Gaius's example I think all of us Christians, all of us should be a glimpse of the Jesus who shapes our lives. Just a glimpse Parents, our kids should know the love of their Heavenly Father primarily through the example you're showing. They should, they should know the love of their Heavenly Father through your interactions with them. A glimpse of it, right? People that are working, your co-workers, they should see a glimpse of the kindness and the purity, and the diligence, and the uprightness of God through the example you live from nine to five in front of them. They should know that part of God through your character. Your neighbors should know the hospitality and the friendliness of Jesus because they have you as a neighbor, right? Your spouse, if you're married, should know the grace and the love that Jesus has for his bride by the way your spouse or how you treat your spouse. They should know the love of Jesus that he has for his bride the way that you treat them because we should be a glimpse of Jesus to those around us. And that, that's what Gaius is even to strangers. And yet always Jesus is always better than our flawed reflection of his nature, right? Kind of like kind of like looking in in a puddle of water and you can see a reflection like yeah, I can tell that that's what it is, but it's it's not a, like looking in a mirror, right? Jesus is always much better than our imperfect, flawed reflection of him, right? Jesus is certainly more faithful than Gaius was for those strangers, and even better, get this, Gaius loved strangers. He knew nothing about them. He just loved them. Jesus does one better. Can I tell you, Jesus knows your sins. You're not a stranger to Jesus. Jesus knows what you struggle with. Jesus knows what, you, what kind of things you've been living in, what secrets you've been keeping, the past you've had, the struggles you carry. He knows these things. You're not a stranger and yet He is faithful and loves you. Do you hear that? Because maybe you need to hear that today. Jesus, knowing those things, was faithful to live a perfect life because you need someone to live a perfect life, to be a perfect sacrifice and then He die to the death that you deserve, knowing in the back of the mind all that you would be doing, and He was faithful in His love for you in that. Please hear that. It's the most important thing that you could hear. We can reflect the person of Jesus and yet never exceed Jesus' love and faithfulness. So, John commends Gaius, getting it back into the text. John commends Gaius, and I just want to commend you, Emmanuel Baptist. We're not perfect, (laughs) definitely not, right? Always have things to work for, and yet there is no doubt of the faithfulness of Christ that's reflected here in our church. You all love one another well. You all support missionaries well. So I think just as John took a moment to say to Gaius, man, it's faithful what I'm hearing of what you're doing. I think it's right and reasonable for me to say to you, it is faithful. It's faithful, the representation that you're displaying of Christ in the world around you. It's amazing. But John doesn't only stop there, right? He doesn't say, hey, you've done a great job, Gaius, now go collect seashells, right? Go play golf to finish off your life well. No, he doesn't. does he say that? No, what a waste it would be. How counterproductive that would be if that's your idea of what John would say. No, he says it is a faithful thing that you've done for these brother, brothers, strangers as they are, to testify of your love before the church. And then he continues on, he says, you will do well to send them on. Let me read the last part of 6 through 8. Gaius still has something to do. He says, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers of the truth. Let me, let's look at this passage for a second. What does John want Gaius to continue doing? Well, Verse 6, send these missionaries off in a manner worthy of God. So sending, and then verse 8, supporting. you See that? Sending and supporting these missionaries materially, financially, is what he has in mind. And now remember, this is completely opposite of the words that he says in Second John. Just briefly read that, verses 7 through 10 in 2 John. He says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world. This is a different book, different setting, different context. And John says, In 2 John, verse 7, many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh. Such a one, okay, these kinds of people that do that, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourself so that you may not lose what we've worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ, those false teachers, they do not have God. He says in verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Wow, that's completely opposite, isn't it? Completely different. If they're a false teacher, if they are only in it for the money, they just want the wealth and the fame, he says, don't help them out. Don't support them. But if they are, like Third John says, if they are out for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ and they don't care about the wealth and the fame, they just want Jesus Christ's name heralded and glorified before people that they might praise Him, well then support them and send them. That's what we should do. When they are faithful teachers, we should send and support the best we can. Now, something I've felt convicted about recently there's two groups of of people there's there's senders and there's goers all right cinders and goers and I guess my personal challenge for you today would to not box yourself into being in the send group forever don't make up God's mind for you in that regard. You don't know the future. Don't box yourself in to being in the sin group forever. Just because you are today doesn't mean that you won't be called to go this time next year. And I think, I think oftentimes we just say, oh, yeah, that's just, that's not for me. I'm a, I'm a sender. I'm going to stroke those checks. And I'm going to live my life. And maybe that's what God has you to do. not saying that's not the case. But maybe we haven't even turned our attention to the possibility because we're scared of the possibility that God has a plan for you to not send right now, but to be sent. And you might say, man, that would disrupt everything in my life. I've got way too many, uh, too, too many things figured out, too many things set in stone in my life. I've got roots too deep here. Can't happen. Can I just push back on that, if that's you, and say, Peter had a family. He had a wife, possibly kids. Whenever Jesus said, drop those nets, you're coming with me. And then we see sometime in the gospel that Peter brings Jesus and they go to visit his in-laws to help his mother-in-law. Peter had a life already established and Jesus had plans for him. Right? Paul, he trained his whole life for something, to be in the Sanhedrin. And he had to leave that whole calling when Jesus called on him. Matthew, I could go on and on. Matthew was excelling in his career. He was a prestigious tax collector. And he had to leave it all for Jesus. I think what we learn from these men is that, quite frankly, it doesn't matter how deep your roots are. If Jesus is calling you to do something, I think his calling should trump our excuse every time. So just pray about it. I guess that would be my challenge. I think we don't pray about it enough. And if you'd be scared to pray about it, maybe that shows you've already told God no from the start. I think that's something Sarah and I have been convicted about. We've stopped praying about that possibility. And maybe we need to start praying about that possibility. I think we all should be. I think we all should be. When God wrote this letter, or when John wrote this letter, sorry, Gaius was clearly called to be a sinner though. Right? At least for that time, he was called to be a sender and to equip people. And when we do that, I just want to look at this last part, verse 8, and then we'll be done. When we send people, when we support people like these, verse 8, it says, Then we may be fellow workers of the truth. When you're a part of the work of God in this world, you are a fellow worker in the truth. A lot of times, Trent, whenever he's leading us in music, right before he prays over me in the sermon, he sometimes prays. He didn't do it this week. I was going to say it, but he didn't. Um, Something along the lines of, may we not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Right, it's out of James 1. May we not just be hearers of the words, but doers of the word. Here, I think John is saying, may we not just be receivers of the word, but workers of the word. May we not just be receivers, but actually people that send it out and do something with it. Whether you're a sender or a goer, whatever part you're playing in the operation, may we not just be a receiver, but may we be a fellow worker. I don't know about you, but I don't want to hear one day, welcome home, faithful receiver of the gospel. Right? I want to hear well done, good and faithful Servant of the gospel, worker of the gospel, contributor to the good news going out to all people, nations, and tongues. So today, let's celebrate. There's a lot <laughs> worth celebrating, right? There's a lot to celebrate of what God's doing here at this church. Primarily, our salvation; secondarily, all that He's showing in our family growth and all these things. Let's take time to note God is working and He's faithful. But let's not let that stop us from continuing to strive. No matter what season you're in, there's still so much work to be done for the kingdom. God's work in you now won't always look like what His work for you in the next chapter will be like. Let's let's celebrate. Let's also strive, okay? Let me pray for us. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.